You are listening to the Grace Capital Church Podcast, broadcasting from our Pittsfield campus. Let me pray as we get going. The message is on family. As Pastor Mike and Pastor Kathy are on vacation, our prayer is that God continues to restore them and renew them, give them the rest, but also that continued passion for the word and for the vision that God's given them for Pittsfield, for his church. But their prayers, as well as for you, is... uh, we pray together that we're our Lord's family. We are our Lord's family together. If you're here at Pittsfield, you're part of the family. You guys want me over on this side of the light, huh? As I pray. Oh, there's the light. Go to the light. This is not the light. This is the light. I like that. I could do that. They were waving at me back there. And I'm like, go off stage? What? Let's pray. So, Father, we pray together. We pray. I love the hearts of Alyssa and this church that just want to serve you and love each other, to love Pastor Mike and Pastor Kathy. We do love them. But what we love about them is their hearts and their faith and their trust in you. What we love about them is their relationship and the presence of God and the presence of of Christ and your Holy Spirit that is in them and driving them to live for you, to serve you, to lead your family here, here in Pittsfield and from beyond Pittsfield to the ends of the earth. So we pray, Lord, that you would bless them, you would restore them, and continue to renew in them your passion, renew in them, Lord, your vision, that they continue to follow you and follow your lead because you are the head of this church. And Lord, I pray that as they return, you have called all of us together as your family to serve you. And together you move forward up that mountain here in Pittsfield, here in New Hampshire, that you call each one of us to follow you and to serve your purposes, your will, not our own. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, I love praying for you. I I think it's been four or five months that I was here back in a downtown Pittsfield, so it's great to see a building. It's awesome to see what God is doing here. But let me tell you a little bit about me. If you don't know me, I do serve in Laconia. I've served as a youth pastor for more than 20 years. I just realized this year is the first year in my life that I will have served youth more than half my life. And so if you had to ask and say, wow, I I finally turned where now half of my life has been serving youth uh, for the most part full time. And so if you had to say, where would you rather be? It's not that I don't mind being up here and I don't mind teaching. I've been a Bible teacher in Christian schools. I've worked alongside of youth. But put me in a room with a bunch of seventh graders. And the root it takes and the time and the prayer it takes to love them at those that ages, but then to begin helping them open up God's word and then grow and know who Jesus Christ is. And then not just know Jesus Christ, but then to share him and tell others about him and then continue to grow. And so I love the word this morning about taking that mountain uh, from my life and from my wife I brought a picture of her. You can't really see it back there in the back, but I'll tell you about that in a minute. She's my bride. She's still my bride. We've been married 20 years this summer. And you can clap that. It's been a long 20 years of ministry together. We have six boys. So she's not here with us this morning. She's with the boys. But uh, she's trying to make it here. And I said, well, there's only one service in Pittsfield. So she didn't quite get to make it. But I brought my young Andrew here. He's a super boy up front. 
And so he's my six-year-old, but we have uh, Matthew, who's 12, down to our youngest boy, uh, Isaac, which means laughter, because we had another boy, number six, uh, who's three. So we knew as soon as we found out it was a boy that, of course, we were going to call him Isaac, because we both had a great laughter in doing that. But my heart has been to follow God's purpose and his call in my life to serve alongside of families and help raising up their youth. And, and working alongside of churches where we can help them continue to learn more about the Lord and his purposes in their lives of how to raise up the youth and come alongside a family. So that's my calling. What, what that means is that's what God has called me, my wife, and our family to. And so now I have six young boys that my friends from back home when I left Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the Steeler town, that's that other place. I'm a Patriots fan, just not at the inner part of my heart. I'm a Steeler fan, born and raised, you know, I, but black and gold Bruins, you know, but same colors, it's good. But I have friends back there saying, hey, how's the mission going? Because when I left Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, it was not just to come to a calling here, into another church or to another place, it was, how's the mission? The mission that God's called you on. And so when we left our church after nine years back in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, it was, we're not losing a pastor, and I was the youth and family pastor there, we're gaining a missionary. And so what I mean by that is I've come up here to be a missionary, but I really believe if you were here with us four or five months ago when I shared downtown that I was praying for your church, you were borrowing a building, now we have a building, but I was praying and the Lord really gave me a very clear word that he's called each of you on his mission and that you're part of his mission, not just the mission God's given me, but each of you are taking a mountain that God's called you on because you're on his mission. And so if you've joined us since that time, I want to begin there and say God's called us on a mission. His mission, for him, for his purposes. But what does that look like? What does that look like for family? What does that look like for workplaces? What does that look like from, I'm here on Sunday morning, Pastor Mike, is that not enough? What's it look like to be on his mission for him, no matter where you're at, whether you're a child, a youth, a teenager, a young adult, or as my grandmother passed away this last year at 99? I don't know if I shared it with her five months ago, but the last thing she said to me is, She's a proper little lady, but she had that finger, right? Still very discernible and, and wise lady. Independent living at 99. Died independent living, 99. She used to have like a can of green beans for dinner. I'm like, Grandma, you want any more? That's my dinner, but I have a big lunch. And she'd eat a couple of green beans. And so I'm having dinner over a can of green beans with her. And about three weeks before she passed away, you keep telling those children, and I'm thinking she's talking about all my children. She said, you keep telling those children about Jesus Christ. And so I talked a little bit about my kids and where they're at and what they're learning. She said, no, you keep telling the children, and you teach your children how to tell other children. She's got the finger going. She said, now you stay on that mission that God's called you. 99 years old. Where did I get it from? <laughs> my grandmother, my mother, from the Lord. But my grandmother's saying, you stay on that mission. And so if you hear from me this morning, my prayer is that you stay on his mission. And what does that mission look like? So we're going to be looking in Ephesians chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. We're going to take some time to walk through the scriptures in the fifth chapter of Ephesians. My Bible is page 978. I don't know if that helps you any. But you have Galatians Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. These are the epistles that are written to help equip the church, the people of the church, but to equip the church in the ministry 
to the Lord's people. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, then you have the Acts, we always say the early Acts of the disciples, and then you get into Romans, that's really Paul's final thesis, all the doctrine. It's not the first letter uh, that Paul wrote, it's actually one of the last ones, but they put it there right after the Acts of the disciples. So it's not in chronological order as you would think, but Romans is this one that pulls it all together to the Church of Rome and understanding. But then you start to unpack these letters that come following Romans and Corinthians and all the, the doctrine that they're wrestling over and fighting over in First and Second Corinthians of, hey, this isn't quite working. You can't do it this way. This is not what is godly. This is not what he's called you to. You're off mission. Let's get back on mission. And so as you walk through these letters in Corinth, the church of Corinth and Corinthians and then Thessalonica and the Thessalonians, is, let's, let's redirect we're off just a little bit. We're going a little bit this way. We need to be right before the Lord. And then he continues to write these letters, and you have Galatians, where somehow they've been convinced that they're following another gospel, as if there's some other good news besides Jesus Christ. And Paul is correcting them, saying, no, no. What you're learning and what you're following now is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you get to Ephesians which is pretty fascinating. So all these letters from Timothy and Titus and these different parts and James, and, and you're in this New Testament. I'm trying to give you the context of when you get to Ephesians, it's this church of Ephesus, which is a church that worshipped the people before the church of Christ. The people of Ephesus worshipped all these other statues and man-made things and, and images, and they had all types of practices that weren't godly habits that weren't honoring of God. So you'd line me up right there as a teenager, somewhere around 12 or 13, that there were practices and habits and thoughts that obviously just weren't honoring God. You could still line me up there at 23 as a young adult, as I started in ministry and had been in ministry for a couple years. God continued to speak into my life and say, okay, now that you're paid youth pastor at 23, these things are not honoring of me. And so now I'm 43. You could still line me up in that passage where God is continuing to align me and saying, hey, what you do must honor me and put me first in your marriage and in your children and put me first in what is honoring of me. And I'm sure at 63 and maybe like my, my grandmother at 99 or 93, God's still going to say, hey, let me direct you. Let me redirect your steps. You may continue to make your plans, but he's going to direct your steps that what you do is to honor him and put him first. And so the this letter of Ephesians is that letter to the church that says, hey, well done, but continue to remind you of what God wants, what God called us to. And so we're in this letter of Ephesians to this people of Ephesus, this city that worshipped so many other things, whether they knew it or not. Paul actually speaks to them, and it's fascinating to me in the context of going, hey, so what do you really worship? Where do you really spend your time? What mission are you really on? That's where we get this chapter and this context of this letter. Okay? And so as we're there in chapter 5, I have to give you a little bit of chapter 4, and I want to make sure I draw your attention to chapter 6. I'm a youth pastor. I have to give you context. I'm a Bible teacher for decades now. I have to give you context, which means, hey, here's where it was happening, here's where it's going, and here's where we're at. This chapter in chapter 5, whether you've read this or not, you're like, oh, that's where we're going today, huh? Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. 
So the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Why did he get that passage to come down here? It's a passage about submission. Not, we're not going to talk specifically marriage. I want to help you understand this. We're going to talk about learning to submit to God. And that the church submits to what he wants. And then we in our workplace and our marriage and with our children and our teenagers and our youth come under his authority. Whether you're 3, 13, 23, I'll just keep going that way, 33, 43, or you're wise in your 50s and figuring life out a little bit. I haven't got there yet. I'm only 43. I'm between young man and old man. My kids started calling me old man. I'm okay with that because I'm getting older. Or 63 or older, what does it mean to be under his authority and follow what he wants? This is this chapter. So it's not a difficult passage, but in chapter 4, the bookend of this chapter in chapter 6 is, chapter 4 is all about the unity. I'm going to read a few passages. So as Paul is speaking and Christ is teaching us to be in unity in chapter 4, in chapter 6, on the other side of this passage, it's all about the spiritual battle. That it's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. This battle of the spiritual armor that we put on. So it's a fascinating. The bookends of this message this morning is unity and the spiritual battle. And the battle is the Lord's. And so we're speaking then into the middle of this text. And so it's not, it shouldn't be difficult because it begins with learning how to walk out in love and how because Christ loved us that we are to love. So if it's the family and the message of Christ and what he calls us to is, and I'm going to use the word bathed in love, reminded of love, then we are in unity and love and under his authority in love. And then in the spiritual battle, it's his battle under his authority also out of love. What motivates us? The love of Christ compels us, as it says. So let me read a couple passages, and if you've found your way into Ephesians, we're actually going to begin in verse 25 in Ephesians, but let me give you a few passages to set this up. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is speaking, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You can write that one. <laughs> Working in your workplace, in your car, wherever you're at. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Not just the pastor, but as the people of Christ. The calling that's upon you. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's just power-packed. Let me read it again, because this sets us up, and this could be a life passage. Well, I'm not called to be a pastor, Pastor Mike. I'm not called to work with youth. Well, I would plead with you that if you believe in Jesus Christ, and maybe you will decide that today, but if you do follow Jesus Christ, you are called on his mission. And so he calls you on his mission to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. If you believe in Jesus Christ, he's called you with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, in all. That's a lot of all. It means God is all, and we're called to his mission, and we're each called. 
I get the privilege of teaching. That's part of my gift. I'm a teacher. But I hope part of my gift is then to love the unlovable. But called to love as Christ has loved. And so I'm wired up to love the unlovable. That's just the way I am. I probably was that kid that was 12 or 13. That whether I was unlovable or not, somebody loved me because I felt unlovable and was learning that I had a Father in Heaven that loved me anyways and that Jesus Christ and the good news truly was unconditional love even though I felt I was unlovable. So 20 years later, 22 years later, still working with youth, the message is you're loved. The message for you this morning is the same as it is to the youth. You're loved and you're welcomed. You're part of a family. You might feel unlovable for what you've done and what people have said and what people think you are, but that's not you. Even if you've done this or people have said this, through Jesus Christ, you're loved. And even though you don't feel loved and you might feel unlovable at times, you're loved. That's the message. That's the mission that I believe not only God's called me on to, but we praise our God. That's the good news because we're forgiven through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross through his work, not ours. But then we get on that mission and say, okay, how do I do this? How do I get on this mission? So if you jump ahead and say there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church, not just Pittsfield, Laconia, Manchester, Pembroke, but one church that's in Jesus Christ. Every city, ready for this, the mission, every person, every city, every town is to be restored. But that's for the call of the church and the followers of Jesus Christ. And so it goes well beyond Grace Capital Church. We are one church in Jesus Christ. So as we have our mission and say, it's our mission. I don't know if you saw that in the slide up there, but to develop people, families, and leaders to know and understand the presence of God. I really believe, I love the mission because that's the mission of the good news of bringing out the gospel for all of us. And that is to know and understand the presence of God so that every person, your neighbors, your classmates, your work people, whether you're in a cubicle or not or you're across the line and things are coming down and you've ever had that job, I've been there. I'm like, I got a little bit down across from me because I got to get my gasket and my little... And even though I'm at work, I'm still learning how to represent Jesus Christ. That's the mission. And then through that mission, no matter where you are, no matter where you work, it's so that people would be restored to him. Every person, every city, and every town. That's the mission of Jesus Christ, not Grace Capital Church. That's why I love when Grace put it together and said, I think we got a clear mission. Because that's what our Lord has called us to. So in that, in understanding that, one more passage, and we'll get to the, what I call the chair passage, the, the core passage. But one more passage as we're walking together. God's given these different gifts. It continues to all of us, different gifts to each of us. Until we all attain the unity of faith, this is still in chapter 4, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. It's saying, look, until we grow up and we stop just being children of God, but we start to grow up and be servants of God, missionaries for God, on his mission, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, carried about by human cunning, by craftiness or deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, 
joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped, which each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up itself in love. That's the fourth chapter, and that's only part of it. So the gifts he's given you is say, okay, now let's grow up a little bit. God has given us a building. I know you guys love one another. Does your heart, though, break for those that aren't here yet? It might. But I learned growing up as a kid that the church, the body of Jesus Christ, the family that I wanted to be part of, was really the only club that existed for non-members. It was the only club that existed for non-members that weren't in the building yet. It was to praise God, come together, learn, grow together, but we exist for those that aren't here yet. We exist to worship God and praise him, but we exist as a body for what God's called us to, the families and the community of Pittsfield. For me, it's the families and the children and the youth and the people in Laconia and its surrounding communities. God's called us to a place on a mission for those that aren't here yet. Now, if you're here for the first time, welcome to the mission. But this is what it was for. So if we've got, I don't know if it was 11 or 12,000 square feet, somebody told me that in this warehouse. So then I'm just praying God continue to share the warehouse with us because you might need more space. I heard you needed more chairs. I'm just one of those guys that I've got, I've got a truck. I can hook up the trailer. We're, I'll start loading up the chairs. Let's bring out some more chairs for Pittsfield. And that's what we exist for. Not for Pastor Mike, Kathy, myself, or any pastor on staff, or even for your role, but for God. For his purpose. I love the amens. For his glory, so that he gets to be known. And so as people are restored, it's so that it's for him. Because what he's doing is restoring, and here's where we're going to get into chapter 5, his bride. This is my bride. She's beautiful. I still, my password, I trust you. My password in everything, because I can't remember five passwords, is beloved. Because this is my beloved. And so now you've got access to almost everything. You have to add a, few, add a few numbers to my bank account. There's not much in there. It's okay, you know. It's, it's beloved in my birthday. Now I'm exposed, okay? So it's okay. The Lord takes care of me and provides. So as you, as you talk, I say my beloved in the day that I was born. Why? I don't want it just for a password. It's my beloved is my bride. And I live my life for the Lord first, and then to present my bride to him. So I'm the first one to tell you, I love Pastor Mike and Kathy and this understanding of grace that they talked about in marriage and in their life and the way they work together and their differences. But I'm the first one to tell you, after 20 years of marriage, my marriage is far from perfect. My kids, I love them to pieces. Far from perfect. Six boys. We got one princess in the house, that's my wife. We try to cherish her and present her, but I'll tell you what, nobody walks down the hallway without an elbow, a kick, taking someone's toys. And so half the time, my wife is a little bit on edge. Okay, more than half the time, my wife is a little bit on edge. And I'm trying to help, but she said, we have seven boys in this house, and you're not helping, right? I go away on a little work project for a couple of days. I said, how'd it go? She said, nobody messed up the routine. Nobody kept them awake later at night. Nobody got out the popcorn and did special movie and on a school night and didn't put them to bed on time. I'm like, they didn't? <laughs> so I don't always help the way that I think I'm helping, but what I do is to live for the Lord and then help my helper, my helpmate, my wife. But I want to present her to before God and who she is because that's what God called me to do. And so I live my life, one, for the Lord, and then two, 
I'm on his mission, but I still live to put my wife and my children first. I know that's tough, especially in churches that are busy, but the decisions I make and things that we're called to is to put your marriage so that you're presenting your bride to the Lord. Now, what I mean by that is, well, I, I brought a picture. This actually, I didn't have to dig this out. I had to dust it off a little bit. But this sits up on my shelf in my, in my bedroom. So 20 years ago, she looks exactly the same. Beautiful bride. I got the wedding dress out. She sits right by the end of my bed, and the kids like to look at it, whatever. Oh, that's mom 20 years ago. But I want it there to remind me that this is the picture of my bride. Even though it was 20 years ago, I, I told her last week, you look more beautiful than the day I married you. Now, I mean that from my heart. She, she's not here, so she's giving me a hard time. But she's, you know, looking in the mirror going, you know, and I'm going, and I'm, I'm going, you look so beautiful. She's like, you know, she's fixing her hair, and trying, we're trying to go out to our life group. And I'm like, no, you look more beautiful than when I met you. It's because the time we've spent together, the love I had for her then is even more, right? Because of the time we spend together, I can not only love her more, which I didn't think was possible from when I met her. I was a hopeless romantic, you know, when I engaged and proposed. But I love her more, and because I love her more, I see even more her beauty. Okay? I want you to understand that because we, including myself, are the bride of Christ. And so that when God loves us in a perfect love, he looks at us, and we don't look at ourselves that way. But he looks at it and says, I love you so much. I've always loved you. You're lovable. You're beautiful. And as the church, we are his bride. Now that's an interesting passage and phrase and understanding and concept. But then as a church, when we love one another and we come together in unity and we serve our Lord together in purpose, we learn to love each other, which means we learn to forgive each other. No grudge. That's hard. But he did, she did, he said... No grudges, because we forgive because Christ our Lord forgave us. And we love because Christ loved us. As Christ loved us, we're to love. Not just, I got to love you. I shared with a friend yesterday, I said, hey, forgiveness is not an option. Did you know that? He looked at me and said, well, you say that, but do I have to pray that? So just because I say that, I'll pray that, but I'd like you to pray if you're willing to pray or you're willing to pray, said, well, I might say the words, but I'll be honest, I'm not sure I mean that. And we work through this difficult 10-year family struggle. And I said, forgiveness is not an option if you believe in Jesus Christ and follow him. Because as he loved, he forgave. And as he forgave, we are to forgive. And so the gentleman finally nodded his head a little bit. Oh, you put it easy that way, but it's not easy. Exactly. It's not easy, but it's not an option. And that's a hard message. So in this passage, as you pick this up, what does it mean to, out of reverence for God and what he's called us to, to submit to one another, to authority? That's why I love teenagers. They fight authority. And I'm a fighter at heart. They just wrestle. But what are we doing with them as we come alongside of them? Come under authority. I'm a fighter, but I've learned to surrender. Not because I gave up, but I've learned to surrender my, ready for this? My will my desire to be in control to the authority that comes from knowing God and following him. So surrender is, I always said, act like a man. That's what my youth pastor told me 20 years ago, hasn't left. Act like a man, fight like a man. He knew I was a little bit of a scrapper in high school. Get on your knees and surrender. And you know, they come up with songs and worship songs like surrender. But the heart of Christianity is surrendering to him. Not because we're weak, 
but inside of us is coming under his authority to submit to the, the word of the Lord, to his control, and stop trying to be in control. That's hard for a guy like me. It's hard for my family. My dad's not a believer, never has been. And I'm praying someday he will be. He's not a believer yet. It means he hasn't surrendered to our Lord yet. My mother, the other one on the other side, they got divorced early when I was in middle school through those tough teenage years. Mom, she was always on her knees praying. Always, you know, in her prayer closet. I, could, I listened in a couple of times. Who's she talking to? <laughs> What's she saying? Is that African I hear in there? What, she's speaking Hebrew? And, and I would listen in and she would... She would, some of you got that one. And I would listen in and she'd come out to the door and say, that's for me and the Lord now. You, But I would listen to my mom pray. That stirred inside of me as a kid to hear my mom pray more than anything I know or heard was listen to my mom pray. So let your kids hear you pray. My mom was good, but she kept to herself a lot of times. But I was that kid going, who's she talking to? She's talking to the Lord? Is he talking back? What's he saying? <laughs> but I learned because my mom daily surrendered. Not daily. She had moments and months and <laughs> weeks and she would say years where she fought sometimes with the Lord and wrestled with the Lord but she surrendered so I learned early on it was not because I was weak to surrender but as we fight we learn not fight on our knees we fight on our knees this is what this passage when I prayed for us here and what the Lord gave us is learning to fight on our knees is learning to submit to the Lord and to one another it's not a difficult passage even though we interpret it sometimes very difficult and with um as the little video said, with certain strings attached. My way or the highway. Submit to what the Lord says to me because I'm the head and you're not. No. Let me unpack this. Submission is good, but in America, it's a dirty word. In the church, it's even a, maybe it's not a favorable word, but submission to the Lord and surrender to the Lord is godly. And it's filled with faith and strength and in the presence of the Lord, where even Jesus Christ had to what? Surrender, submit to the will of God the Father and not his own will. If this cup is possible, take it. But I submit to your will, not my will. It's at the very heart of the gospel. And so why not us? Why not me? This is where the passage picks up. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Whoa. Whoa. I'd stop there, we're done. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. Now that is surrender. He gave himself up for her. Now that's beautiful. Because that's sacrifice. He gave himself up for her, his bride, so that she, and we're going to, take the next passage, would be presented beautiful, radiant, blameless. He knew that the church, you and I, were to be blamed for our sin, the consequences of sin, the actions, the thoughts, the things we don't do but we want to do but we still don't do but it's still thoughts. All of that sin package, he surrendered his life to present you and I to God as right meaning forgiven because he dies on a cross because only he could pay for it. Right? That's the gospel. That only he in his perfect life could take on the offering for the sin, the sin sacrifice, so that we could then be presented as beautiful in right relationship with God through him. That's what he did for the church. That's what he did for you and for me. 
So then he calls us to do that. That's powerful. And I would tell you that's beautiful. And so he calls husbands, lay down your life for your wives. But it's not about marriage, guys. That's why I love this passage. You get all this cool stuff in there and you're like, oh, context. I'm not talking just about marriage. I'm not talking about specifically marriage. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about relationships between brothers and sisters who call themselves Christians. I'm talking about us. That's what the passage is going to get to. So let's continue there because this is where it gets continuing. It's always beautiful, but watch. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now we're hearing husband, wife, man's responsibility, woman's responsibility. But what Paul is speaking to, he's saying, this is what Jesus did, and he did it so that we would be made right with God as his bride. So I wanted to create a picture in you as we go through this text and as we walk through scripture. Do you have a picture of the bride? If you're married, it's, this is my bride. But the bigger picture... Is his church. Us. The, the picture, the big picture of the mission is being presented to God because we are forgiven. We're lovable. And we've been made right because of what Jesus did. So we are presented. We are forgiven and made right because of Jesus, not because of anything we do or how many coffees we serve or orphanages we minister at or mission trips we go on. Or even how many times we attend church. doesn't matter. This is a response to what Jesus did. This is a response. Our mission in Pittsfield and my mission in Laconia is a response to what Jesus did for us. Is that clear? Is that clear? I know this side said it's clear. I miss you guys. I miss the... What's clear is, yes, do you know that God called all of us to be on that mission so that we could be part of sharing part of, no matter if you feel like you're a pastor up front and you can teach scripture or not, you don't have to do this. But I pray you read this and that you hear this and as the hearing of this saying, so then what's my mission today? Real practical. Who do I have to forgive today? Because if I'm going to surrender to the Lord as a follower, then there's probably somebody I have to forgive. Line me up. I'm coming down for prayer at the end too. There's somebody that you got a grudge on that you said you forgave verbally, but you didn't forgive. Maybe you didn't even forgive verbally. You're still holding on to some of that mm, hurt. Don't let the enemy win. The surrender to the Lord is saying that I'm going to forgive so I can stay on mission. I have learned that if you don't forgive, you get knocked off mission. It's a tough passage. Is that biblical? That's my personal conviction. I got an applause. What I mean is, as you read the scriptures, when we don't forgive... It's hard to be, even though we've been forgiven through what Jesus did, it was finished. We've been made right with God. When we don't forgive, there's something that gets in between us and others. And don't miss this. Even if possible, for some reason, it's the term catch-22. When we don't forgive, even though we've been forgiven by Christ, there's something that gets between us and God. There's this stuff. I can't give it a word yet. I can give it plenty of words. I can't give it an exact word that says, but when we don't forgive, it's something that in our heart we wrestle with that gets between us and family, that gets between us and others, but ultimately works its way in and gets between us and God. 
So we can say we've been forgiven by Jesus Christ, but when we don't forgive others, this is the word that the Lord really dug me into us. If you want to see a mission go, I pray that the next renewal, the next revival, the next great awakening does start in Pittsfield. I want it in Laconia too. I want it across New Hampshire because that's why I left Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Because I want to be part of what God is doing. But if there's anything that gets between us and God, I just want to be honest with you. What I've learned in 23 years of teenagers is forgiveness and the lack of willingness to surrender to forgive. And if you're willing to forgive today, you don't have to come forward, but I encourage you, at the close of this message, I'm going to invite Kyle, Pastor Kyle someday, brother. It's always Pastor. Kyle Jews, a missionary, worship leader, and pastor. As he begins to play, I want to pray for you and then invite you forward. Life group leaders, elders. The passage is saying, look, he presented his bride to himself by dying, by surrendering to the will of God. The will of God, I believe, very clearly, oh, well, I got to take this job, I got to do this, I got to go here. The will of God is to know him, to love him because you have been loved, but then to love others and forgive them. The very simple core gospel is to forgive. And as we forgive, God does something amazing in our hearts. The stirring in our hearts is, I, I, if you only knew, Pastor Mike, come on. 23 years of ministry, I've heard almost all of it. I always get a little bit of surprise going, I didn't hear that one yet. There is nothing that God, through Jesus Christ, won't forgive. And so there's no reason why we can't forgive because he forgave it all. And then he calls us to say, forgive. And if you want a family that loves, it comes from forgiveness first. We always say, well, the love motivates me to forgive. But when I forgive because I've been forgiven, I'm able to love. That's the heart of family. That's the heart of ministry. And I'll tell you, that's the heart of the church. That we forgive, even if it's verbal today. I'm okay with that. My friend and I, that we prayed together for a while, uh, just a few days ago, he started with verbal. But by the end of the prayer, he said he came, I'll say it verbally, but I'm not willing. But as we finished, he was on his knees. He didn't start on his knees. He started like this. Well, you say it's not an option. But God did something, even when verbally, then I'll forgive. And then his Holy Spirit moved and stirred. And it was no longer just the lips, it was the heart. And after 10 years, and so it might be you out there, if you're willing to surrender to the will of God for the sake of his mission, it starts with forgiveness. And the passage ends. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it. Listen carefully. Because we are all members of his body. Just as Christ does the church, it said, because we are members of his body. Just as Christ did it. So it's not just about marriage, whether you're married or not, or if you're single. It's about at the very heart of the gospel is forgiveness. And then we are able to love. That's my conviction. I can't forgive, but I love them anyways. So surrender and say, okay, I'm giving you lip service today, Pastor Mike. Start there, because that's the beginning of surrender. And so you can, I'm going to invite life group leaders. If you have elders, or I'm going to ask you guys to come forward first. If the leaders aren't willing to forgive... If life group leaders who are all, you know, we're, we're all imperfect, aren't willing to forgive, 
then how can we ask others to come and ask for forgiveness? And so what I'm going to do today, I can stand here, I think, that you come just for prayer. Maybe it's prayer I need to surrender, and I'm going to accept Jesus Christ for real. Because I heard it today. It's about what Jesus did, and it's not about me. It's not about my life, my family, my kids, my workplace, my friends. It's about Jesus. And then if I'd be willing, even if it's lip service, we're going to pray with you. We're going to pray as well. That if there's any grudge, any bear that we're holding against somebody that would get between us and God, then we're going to surrender that. And then as we pray, I'm going to invite you forward to pray. I'm going to stand in the back because I know some of you don't want to come forward. So meet me in the back. That was who I was. I'm not going forward. So as a pastor, I meet you in the back and we'll pray back there. But surrender so that your family, for your kids, your future family, your kids, your future grandkids, but for the mission of Jesus Christ, there's nothing that stands between you and him. And then watch this. The good news of Jesus Christ and what we teach, nothing stands in the way of that going out either. That is the power and the beauty and the presence of God. But it begins with surrendering. That's a tough message. So we're all going to surrender first, and then we invite you to surrender or meet me in the back because it's hard to surrender up front. Okay? Let's pray. So Father God, I pray before you and your cross that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was because he surrendered to you and to your plan, your purpose, your will. So I pray that the good news truly would be good news, that we are forgiven. As leaders, we would know intimately that we are loved and we are forgiven. And then as your leaders, we are servants of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that we will help others to forgive and to know they're forgiven. That submitting to one another out of a reverence to you is a fight that maybe we've never really truly taken. Meaning a fight that when we wrestle in our hearts, we've not truly surrendered it to you. So I pray we learn to fight on our knees in prayer and that we surrender the hurts, the grudges, because that somehow, in the way that only an enemy could twist, keeps us from feeling loved and feeling forgiven as well. So let us release, let us surrender anything that holds us from one another so that there's nothing between you and us because that's why Jesus died so that that wall would be torn down so that we could be in the holiness and the presence of you, Lord God, but also so that we could continue to love and forgive others. There'd be nothing between us and others and nothing between your mission and the mission in Pittsfield. Nothing that would keep this church from needing three warehouses. So Lord, I pray that you spread your word through this body because it is a body that has known your forgiveness and has forgiven others. Because it's a body and members that know your love and is willing to love. And that's what it means to be your bride. So we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Capital Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about this podcast and the mission that we have in New England, or if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to support this ministry financially, please visit us online at gccnh.com 